Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. I'm Ben. I hope you are still you, and that would make this stuff they don't want you to know, but not just any ordinary episode, folks. This one has a plot twist. Yeah, there's a first time for everything, and uh, last week we had a significant first for stuff they don't want you to know. We did our very first ever live podcast. Yes, we were invited to go to the Terminus Festival here in Atlanta. It was a great experience for us. We we got to talk about VR, what you're about to hear, and uh, we loved we loved it. We enjoyed ourselves. And before we join the live show, currently sort of in progress, depending on how you look at the nature of time, we do want you to know that this was a live performance and the audio is a little bit different than we're used to. But we enjoyed ourselves so much that we really thought that you should hear it as well. So let's let it roll. One of the strangest things about our show and this whole being human beings thing that we're doing in general is that out of all of the strange stuff that we look at every day and every week, uh, the weirdest thing that we encounter is always directly around us, surrounding us, inundating us, and that's the nature of reality. 
And while that might seem like a really cut and dry, you know, concept, as it turns out, there's a lot of room for interpretation. Yeah, and so we've been thinking about this. I mean, the three of us, and probably you as well, but the human species at large has been thinking about this since the dawn of time, since antiquity, right? We all know the story, the allegory of Plato's cave, right? And uh, according to Socrates, Plato says, I don't know, I, I don't know if I can say this here, but I always pictured it kind of like one of those old stoner movies, and Plato was somewhere on the couch, and it's like, hey man, what if, bro, bro, what if there were, like, these people, and they were like a cave? They're in a cave, yeah. But they're, like, chained up, and they're just... They can't, they can't move their heads. Yeah, and they're just staring at this wall. But, like, behind them, there's a fire. And there, there are people and, and things walking between where they are in the fire, and it casts a shadow on the wall they're looking at. Yeah, they're doing, like, sick shadow puppets, you know? That's a sick puppy right there, bro. Thank you, I worked on it earlier. And, uh, and then these people... We can still do the Plato voice if you want, but these people are uh, these people are seeing these shadows, these reflections, and to them this is the universe. And then Plato further says, "What if one person, very lucky or very unlucky, was able to somehow escape these chains and go toward the surface world? Their eyes, accustomed to firelight, would be blinded by sunlight, a light they had never encountered before." And Plato says. Well, the first thing that person would do is to run back into the cave. Yeah, yeah. terrified. Things just got weird. And so he says someone would have to force this guy out of the cave, but when they forced him out of the cave, eventually his eyes would acclimate to starlight, and then the moonlight. And then, in Plato's story, the moment of realization of the true nature of reality would be when he is able to regard the sun. And this sounds like this is one of those old saws, you know, this is one of those be careful with that joke, it's antique kind of thing. But we see it still applies. And if you've seen what? Any number of science fiction films, yeah. right? Any number of science fiction authors. Philip K. Dick is a great example of mm -hmm. The Matrix. There's that moment where the person who has been, who's had their mind completely blown, their total reality completely shattered, has the opportunity to go back. Right. and tell his buddies that are left behind in the cave what he has discovered. And, and Plato, by the way, says that no one will believe this poor schmuck because he'll come back and his eyes acclimated to the sun will be essentially useless in a cave. And they'll say, well, all right, buddy, maybe you went somewhere, but clearly it's not that great. Yeah, you, just, you had some kind of visions because you can't see anything, obviously. And this, this sort of question about reality, you know, we've, we've seen this as the inspiration of the wellspring for so many different science fiction films, right? And science fiction stories and philosophical explorations after the time of Plato. And it goes to show this is the amount of time that our species has spent considering the nature of reality, but now, to steal a line from Fox News, now more than ever, we're in a weird situation because our species no longer simply has to regard or contemplate the nature of reality. Instead, we are arriving at a moment where we have the technology, the hardware and software to begin to manufacture our own versions of this reality. We've gone from contemplation to fabrication. And one of the biggest driving factors here Oddly enough, it's not some noble pursuit to the stars or the inner mysteries of humanity, but maybe it is. It's gaming. 
Yeah, I mean, we've been doing this forever, for a long time, even just with gaming, in terms of developing more and more immersive ways of experiencing games and manipulating that perception of reality you know, to our own benefit, whether it's for fun or whether it's to explore you know, new terrains through you know, role-playing games and making those maps bigger and bigger and bigger. And now we're entering more and more into, well, how do we go even beyond that and make it completely immersive through virtual reality? Yeah, we're dealing with a glorious problem, you guys. I, I don't know about a lot of you. Uh, I wear a lot of hats in life. I'm a, a parent and uh, a podcaster, but I'm at the heart, I think, a gamer, and this is a great and also very unfortunate thing uh, because of the amount of time that I spend existing in virtual worlds, um, which is great, and I love every second of it, but then you realize maybe perhaps what you're neglecting in base reality, this one, I think this is reality. We'll, we'll get into that later. Um, but the great thing is there, most, of, most of you in this room could probably tell me tales of the 40 hours you've spent in Tamriel or some other uh, you know, realm that exists virtually. And is this a good thing? I, I mean, it is in a lot of ways, I think, right? But does it have the potential to be a bad thing? Well, earlier, uh, off air, you had, you had come to Noel and I, and you had said, uh, head hanging, by the way, you had said that you ran a calculation of your time spent in a virtual world. Yeah, I did some stats on characters in both Skyrim and the Dark, uh, the Dark Souls, Demon Souls, uh, all of that, and I don't, I don't even want to say... I don't even want to say the number. Uh, the biggest thing is I just... I, no, no, it was bad, because it was in three digits... In hours, it was really bad. Uh, I just got done with a 38-hour stint in Karat, uh, which is a far, the Far Cry 4 little world. Uh, it's you guys, I'm scared for myself, but I'm also really scared for humanity because this is this is where, what we're doing now. Anyway, this is all for later. But is it is it a bad thing? I mean, at the very least, to paraphrase Michael Jackson, you were not alone. Gaming is ancient, right? Like we found notched bones and dialect devices that date back into antiquity. Like we're still, as a species, hunting down the oldest game in the world. And our best guess is something that's sometimes called the African Stone Game, sometimes called Mancala. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great game. Maybe some of you played it in grade school. I don't know. We got to learn it and play it once or twice. It's where you have these little pits. Earlier it was in the ground, or originally it was in the ground, but now it's these little uh, wooden pits that have seeds in them, and you kind of just move the pits around, and whoever has the most seeds at the end wins. So that's the oldest game that, that exists that we know of. Which sounds fun. Yeah, and it clearly involves some strategy. I mean, we probably think of some games that probably evolved from that kind of thinking, you know, moving forward. And, and there are real-world implications of this game at the time because they tied into the concept of agriculture. So gaming, while it has sometimes been portrayed as a frivolous pastime in, in some parts of the world or parts of history, it turns out in the original versions, it's always an educational thing. It's a matter of how to survive better in this reality, which is trippy when you think about it, but we've been thinking about it a long time because we have seen a continual evolution. I guess this isn't going to translate, so if you're listening to this later, I'm doing a cool thing with my hands. Uh, so what we've seen is that there's this continual evolution. You know, we it, The game changed in 
The game changed. Yeah, it did. Okay, we'll edit that. In 1974, in September, uh, when Ralph Baer first pioneered the, the very first home video console, which was mind-blowing, the Magnavox Odyssey. It had these three dots on this TV screen, and depending on the game, the dots would move in different directions. It had two controllers, it went to your TV. So good, man. Most popular kid on your block. And by our standards, I mean, what even is this? How could you even interact with something like that? I mean, basically just like an even lower fi version of the Atari, which, as we know, is pretty low-fi by our standards. Right. But awesome. Yeah, but it's like, you know, you introduce a little sound, you introduce the sound of your Pong piece going back and forth, and then, you you know, you change the game again. Right, right. And Atari had this... I'm just going to rant about this for a second. So Atari had this strategy. They said, we don't have the technology to make something completely immersive. You will play Frogger, for instance, or E.T., and you're never going to have that moment where you think... I am become frog, jumper of highways. But what, but what their strategy was instead was to make the games incredibly difficult. And to have some really cool cover art. They had great yes. cover art. Oh, man, going to the arcade. Oh, it was glorious. Uh, today, gaming is an increasingly mainstream pastime. It's no longer something where one out of 250 people are uh, hiding away or hermiting away in, in a basement or an unused a cave? A cave, perhaps, <laughs> yes. We, we've gotten to the point where it's almost a little weird if you don't game at least a little bit, maybe on your phone or something. Uh, you know, your parents probably game. My dad keeps showing me all these new games that I've never heard of. And I, I'm trying to figure out how... Is he sending you this is them on Facebook? Oh, uh, yeah, every once in a while. I try, I try to ignore those. But uh, well, well, there's some stats. We've got 155 million gamers in the U.S., right? Yeah, leading to an average of two per household. Four out of five homes actually has a device used to game, whether it's a console, whether it's a PC, a laptop, or you can even count, you know, a smartphone. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's a tricky stat because a device used to game has some tricky language to it. Just over half of the homes in this country own a device dedicated to gaming, a PC console that only plays games, uh, you know, uh, a PS4 that technically can do lots of amazing stuff, but let's, let's be honest, you're playing, you know, you're playing some amazing game. Uncharted. Oh, you know, some last I'm not naming them because I'm sure about them. Full disclosure, because I didn't get a PS4 yet. We, we have something to celebrate. Do you guys know what the average age of a gamer is in the U.S.? Anybody? 35. 35. Ties to the man in the back. Yeah. Low average. What? <laughs> Feels good. And that's a tricky thing in average, so don't beat yourself up. Uh, there's some other things that violate popular stereotypes, so disproven would be a better word. You go. You started. I'll, I'll go. Yeah, you should go. Oh, thanks. Oh, okay. I'll, no, let's 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 keep going. Okay, let's do it together. Women over 18, oh, 18 or older represent thirty three percent of the gaming population, while boys eighteen or younger represent fifteen percent. Take that. Yeah, take How that. How cool is that? That's pretty cool. I mean, especially you can, considering like all of the. Gamergate shenanigans. We don't want to get into that right now, guys. Right. Because tropes and icons or stereotypes are not people. They're just sort of shortcuts that the human mind uses to not think of people as people. And so now the next, one of the next big steps is this entirely immersive world 
this thing where it's no longer, you know, the shadow of a dog on a cave wall. It's no longer something that could maybe be a frog. Yeah. Uh, it's now something that looks and feels exactly like a frog. The slippery skin, the weird ribbit, 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 and the smell of gas and the sound of a car as you get across the highway. That is virtual reality gaming. And it's something that, you know, has been attempted unsuccessfully oh, for a long time. Like, okay. I mean, it's, you know, it, it comes from our desire to kind of match some of these tropes that we see in science fiction. It's like, oh yeah, we can do that. It's time. Let's make sure. a Virtual Boy. That'll be a thing. Yeah, that'll work. No, don't, don't do it. Does anybody remember Virtual Boy? Uh, yes. Yeah. Or yeah. The, the migrate wow. machine. One, one person in the audience remembers Virtual Boy. It was, it was so clunky. It was so <laughs> huge. It, it, it looked like, uh, so go around your face like this. It protruded out about this far. So it was a set of, uh, like, the worst binoculars on Earth. And it had a little tripod on it, because you had to put it on the table and then go like this. And then... <laughs> and you basically saw everything the way Terminator sees everything. Yeah, all red. Right. Right. It's all red. It's yeah, all little yeah. readouts. And, you know, you, you hear about eye strain using, uh, like, Oculus Rift or any other virtual device that we have now. And this thing, eye strain, was almost immediate uh, upon seeing it. So that was fun. So that was successful. I mean, you know, they got that right. But, but it was mind-blowing, too. I mean, we're, we're kicking rocks at it, but it was... Yeah, you know, until it was incredibly disappointing. But now it's like we've gotten to a place where the technology has finally caught up to these tropes in a pretty big way. Yeah. You know, the kind of virtual reality are like holograms, for example, that we're used to seeing in like Blade Runner and mm-hmm. these kind of sci-fi films. We actually have the technology to match that, and we're getting to a place where it's becoming much more readily available. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen these. There's so many videos of like Oculus Rift uh, tests on people's grandparents, for example, where they make them put it on and play a horror game, and they practically fall out of their chairs every time. I mean, this right. stuff is very, very immersive, and it does a really good job of recreating these environments and putting you in the game. I mean, it's, yeah. it's incredible. I mean, we live in an age right now where posthumously celebrities and musicians can make appearances via hologram. That is bizarre, it's mind-blowing, it's amazing, but it's still not the end. Because right now, if we look at it, we, we look at our senses, right? The average game approaches, uh, approaches two primary senses, sight and sound. But the next move, the next one that's coming up soon, is tactile. It's haptic feedback. It's, it's playing a game where you can differentiate between the feel of the fabric on this table for everyone listening, I'm t- I am touching the table. I feel like I have to tell everybody this. Uh, and you can also feel the difference between the class. Weight, for example. Yeah. Or even well. you could feel the sensation of sand, you know, going between your fingers, mm-hmm. things like that, or grass under your feet. Right. And we're already working on haptic feedback in different ways, and we're, we're getting closer and closer, but we're nowhere near what you're talking about. Not, not yet. The point is, though, in the continuum of game design and game creation, the end goal, it seems to me, has always been to make it more and more and more immersive. So as immersive as things are now, what's it going to look like in 20 years as these you know, tactile technologies are made better and better and more streamlined? And that's, that's the, the million-dollar, billion-dollar question, because a, uh, a strange thing is happening. First, as, as you guys probably know, you know, we often hear about five senses. They're more like if our complete range of senses were an album, these are like the five breakout singles you hear about on the radio. Because the, the human body and the human mind have uh, many more senses. And I'm not, I'm not talking about Airplanes or X-Files stuff. Uh, not in this episode. Uh, this would be more, uh, more stuff like your ability to sense temperature, heat, cold 
the difference between on different parts of your body. There's also something called proprioception, which is very Dr. Seuss in the way it sounds, but is uh, immensely important to all of us. And that is the ability to know where parts of your body, your limbs and, and such, are when you're not directly looking at them. That's the reason you can close your eyes and touch your fingertips. This is one of the things that virtual reality will emphasize in gaming and experiences because it will go beyond gaming as well. And the other senses, don't worry, they're not going to get left out. Uh, smell, the taste of butter, for fans of the witch. Uh, the, um, the other senses are all going to ideally be addressed because what we are trying to create as a species turns virtual reality into a misnomer. Virtual reality is only virtual at the moment because it can be differentiated from the world in which we live now. So the projections in the cave versus life on the surface. Right, but what if we can build the surface? Ah, you hear that music? That means we're taking a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh man, you guys, I think we should get back to this live show thing. No, yep. Right now we can still call it virtual reality. Yeah, I hope we're still there. But but here's the, the craziest part of this is that we'll usually hear about this advertised or, or journalists will talk about it as a uh, a new way to play. What was that? Far Cry set? Yeah, that's what I mentioned. Yeah, Far Cry. I'm not game shaming you. I just, I just want to make sure I get it right. It, it was okay. It was okay. It was it was pretty good. Well, the next iteration they would want it to be an entire a new world, a matrix of sorts. But some of the most important advances in virtual reality now are occurring not through games, but through the real world immediately in life-saving and life-destroying ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not talking about just using virtual reality for entertainment, um, either <clears throat> sexual or otherwise, which is how it tends to be uh, used. That's how a lot of innovations occur. Right, in, uh, and VHS. These fields, yes. Um, or, you know, playing some weird RPG. It's, it's going to be used for training purposes, and it is being used and has been used for training purposes. Um, everything from in a classroom to, let's say, you're a surgeon and you need to learn how to do a specific surgery and you don't have, you know, a lot of humans to operate on that need uh, a bypass of some sort with their heart. Uh, or, you know, or the cadaver that you would be working on you know, if the blood doesn't flow right in this cadaver, oh, wait, because it's dead. So with these virtual reality worlds that you can create, in this case it would be an operating room, you can have a full-scale human being. Right, yeah, the age of resurrection then has passed. So there are things like the Surgical Theater and Conquer mobile uh, company, and they make these VR simulations, because let's face it, surgeons are vital to the world, right? Uh, Unlike, for instance, a cosmetologist or a barber, you can go to a school uh, where those students will give you a discount haircut. But do you want a discount appendectomy? I don't. I'm not particularly a fan of it, and I'm a very, a very much a cheap person. I'm just going <laughs> to confess that. Okay. Well, I said it. But um, but so instead, what we can do is we can enable a simulation of reality that is so so very similar that operating there is like operating on a living person. Because it's actually scanned from medical documents, like 3D right. imaging, CAT scans and the like. Yeah. So every detail can be recreated and the feedback is there. So if you mess up and nick an artery, it's going to react in the way that it would in real life because the whole system is laid out. Of that specific person, not of a exactly. group of people, right? Not a theoretical person. And this isn't a new idea. Like the idea of training surgeons via simulator goes back to at least 2010, which means that the technology probably existed research level in the 90s. And what they found is they can make these 3D models. Uh, the, the first one was something called NeuroTouch, and this came from Canada. And what they did with NeuroTouch was they specifically operated on simulations of brain tumors when we're bleeding, and that's a ticking time bomb when you're a surgeon. Time is very, very important. What they found is that these new surgeons who were being trained on this were actually showing a higher rate of success than veteran surgeons who had not, up to a certain threshold. And furthermore, when they actually operated on living people, 
that success rate carried over. So is this still a game? Or is it a life-saving thing? And this neurotouch had relatively limited capabilities. There was never a surgeon who was like, oh, I thought, I thought it was there. But what we did find is that that training does matter. Uh, side note, for Star Trek fans, the NeuroTouch guys are uh, Trekkies, so they invented their own Kobayashi Maru, which I think was brutal and unfair. There was no way to save the patient, and they did not tell the kids going in. They just let it happen. Oh, nice. You shouldn't do that. I mean, they're surgeons. They have to learn. But also Google Cardboard. Something as simple as Google Cardboard was used to save a baby's life when doctors in Miami combined this with 3D imaging, and then the surgeon conducted heart surgery. You weren't there yet, but the kind of things you might see in like Minority Report, for example, in the film, um, where you could have a surgeon interacting with some sort of virtual reality interface, and then on the other end, somewhere across the planet, there is a device that can mimic the you know motions that the surgeon would do right, down yeah. to the precise move, and actually save a life from across the planet. And I know there's telemedicine things that are happening right now, but I think this is probably going to be the next step, using this technology, taking it out of the training realm into... Right, the, the real operation. Like the best surgeon in the world would happen to live in Singapore, for instance, and then they're working on someone via uh, this virtual reality connection in Bangor, Maine. Yeah. And uh, on the flip side of all this, we've, we've, we're, we are also using virtual reality technology, not just to save people in this way, but we're also using it to train uh, com people for combat. Right, so, and we've known this for a while. They're, the U.S. Army, the Air Force, and the Navy, they all use their own types of simulators. They're, they have various different kinds. Uh, there's usually, you know, a VR headset or just a set of monitors, and there's, they're usually sitting on top of something that moves around so that, let's say, you're, you're learning how to fly a plane or a jet in combat situations, or you're learning what happens when your jet is on fire. Uh, what do you do in that situation? Rather than, you know, flying a jet and ejecting, let's put them in this VR thing. Uh, that's probably a good idea. And it gives you that haptic feedback, sort of like you might find in, like, a game controller, where if you're playing, like, Mario Kart and you round a corner doing a drift, you know, you get that vibration on the controller that gives you that feedback so you know what's going on. It's sort of a more lateral version of something yeah. like that. And many of, these, many of these technologies are first cooked up by Uncle Sam's resident math science department, which is something called DARPA. And DARPA typically has a lead time on technology. And sometimes people will tell you this, this sounds crazy, but if you hear about something being publicly announced by DARPA, the odds are that they've been working on it at least six years. And you'll hear different time curves, but that's, that's essentially it. These simulators can also run training missions. This stuff is not just for uh, a medical surgeon. This stuff is not just for training a pilot in a safety or emergency situation, although it is for those things. It's also for things like sniper training, which means, oddly enough, that it, I don't know if anybody here played Call of Duty at some time, right? It means that, oddly enough, they, they found that kids who were growing up playing Call of Duty had a faster learning curve as snipers. They were just better at it. And Call of Duty, of course, is not... I don't know if accurate is a fair word, but uh, it was apparently... It was, it was very similar to, to the point where that they were able to use these weapons they had learned to use in a virtual reality on this one. Yeah, there, and there's 
you know, there's things like Command and Conquer. I don't know if you guys ever played that or any other top-down strategy game uh, like that. That exists. It's real. They've got uh, real versions of this where you can look at an area in Afghanistan. You can move your troops around, see what happens, play out a simulation. What happens if we move troops here? What happens? How do they respond, right? And then you run the AI. It's pretty It's pretty advanced. It's super cool. Ben, you had a, a professor who was working on... Something like that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess we can talk about that. So uh, I went to Georgia Tech for a time, and one of my professors was a guy named Dr. Brecky. And Dr. Brecky is, if we close our eyes and picture a mad scientist, if you, do, do you have it? Like a Doc Brown type figure? Yes, but with glasses. There he is. Okay, so uh, this guy uh, revealed to, to us that he was working on a program to create a virtual simulation of Afghanistan. And the idea was that if we account for all of the variables involved, then what we're able to do when we push these variables and nudge them and make small changes is going to be very close to what would happen in the real world were those variables to change. Spooky stuff, right? Uh, and the, the idea was to build models of different countries and eventually have some kind of weird digital oracle that could roughly predict, the same way Asimov's psychohistory did, uh, changes throughout large swaths of the human population. Yay! I, Wait, I mean, I, good I, and bad, right? I don't know if he did it uh, all the way. I should. I, uh, I don't know if I want to ask him. Uh, so we, we know that there are all these different... Um, the Navy has their own uh, research programs into this. Uh, the various medical technologies. The, there's a beautiful thing about classrooms where we can decentralize the physical location that holds a lot of students back. So we can say we have these kids who have this amazing talent for trigonometry, right? Or these amazing artists. And we would love for them to learn together because human beings are more than the sum of our parts. However, one kid lives in Bhutan, one kid lives in Peru, two kids live in Canada and they can all meet at the same time, no lag time, they can learn together. There's a, another darker reason why this is fundamentally important, and that is because virtual reality also encapsulates the ability to, or also encompasses the ability to destroy. The most apparent example of this in our time would be drone technology. So we have had instances very recently where there is what is called you know, collateral damage, right? A schoolhouse is confused for an arms warehouse. And because those children had to be in the same room, they die. With something like this, there's a decentralization of that physical location. And what this means is it, not, it doesn't mean that people are going to be saved. It doesn't mean that all, or all people are. And it doesn't mean that terrible things won't happen. But it does mean that we're finding different ways to address this problem. So if there's a child born today, when that child is 18, then they may graduate college without ever having to set foot, physical foot, in a campus. And so we, we see that every invention is sort of like, is, is like fire, you know? It can burn, it can warm, and the various realities we are constructing are the same way, very similar. And this, this leads me to think, you know, the old question, we still haven't answered it. What is the nature of reality, you know? Sure, so we, we get back to the senses and we, and we really think, 
everything you know, everything you think you know, uh, I'm speaking to myself, by the way, is what you've taken in through your senses, right? You've, you've read words, then you have thoughts, then that is what you know. And if we're in a device, if we're hooked up to a device that we cannot distinguish what we are seeing and hearing from me talking to you on this microphone, then what the heck? Where are we? Where is reality? And it, we get into the situation where we're going to be building so many of these things because they're going to be profitable as all heck, right? Because if you could go and live in another world that's so vastly different from this one and yet indistinguishable, and you can go do whatever you want, I'm going to pay money for that. I already do. I pay $60, $70 a pop when I get a new game. Oh, God. Uh, but, yeah, so what I'm saying is if I could exist in those worlds right now, I probably would be doing it, and it terrifies me because there is something inside me that wants to do that. Well, and it already kind of happens when you're playing a game. In some games, there are games within the game. There are people who will uh, go into a massive uh, multiplayer. Well, Grand Theft Auto is a really good example. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the mini games in Grand Theft Auto that you can do. And then it makes us think, you know, is that reality still virtual or is it just another form of reality? Is experience really just a, like nesting Matrosha dolls, you know? In a <laughs> game within a game within a game within an experience. And I know that's a little bit weird to say at 4.30 in the afternoon, but it's true. Yeah, I feel like uh, it's a little early for all this. Yeah, and we'll just like as we see technology exponentially getting more and more advanced, like we can see these things in our lifetime becoming just insanely advanced. More so than we could in the past. Okay. okay, you go. Okay, so I just I don't want to end, like have a negative note about the importance of decentralizing classrooms, although it is very important. There are amazing things that are going to happen as well, probably within the lifetimes of the, our lifetimes, uh, and that will be the the realm of film. So we're already approaching a point where computer generated imagery can plausibly replace a person and still look. Not not just similar enough, not, that's really good CGI, but oh, I thought Marilyn Monroe was dead. And it goes further than that, because imagine a world wherein you can watch, uh, what's a movie that one of you guys saw that you liked recently? The Lobster. The Lobster was good. Okay, alright, so you can replace the protagonist of The Lobster, right? But it's not you walking through it like an old Dragon Quest game or something, instead what you're doing is you're having agency. So you can move around to all these other actors, become NPCs, non-player characters, that will react to your decision. So what if in The Lobster, I'm going to be careful not to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, what, what if in The Lobster, at the very beginning, uh, this guy goes to a hotel? What if you're in the movie and you decide that you want to make a different decision? Then the movie moves with you. And this is so fundamentally different from the other realities we have tried to create. In the world of theater, which is, again, ancient, uh, it would be like you're watching a performance of Hamlet, and then you stop it and say, no, say this. And not only do they say it, but it ripples out and affects the rest of the play. That's what's going to happen in film. And what happens after that is a little bit difficult to guess. But uh, it's going to be an exciting thing to watch. It's also one of these things where, like, it does that fundamentally go against the idea of like a singular vision and a creator who yeah. took the time to write and you know produce a film like The Lobster, which is a very unusual, interesting film. Mm -hmm. You know, 
do we really want to put that in the hands of, of any any old person that wants to just pop in there and change it up for their own, you know, amusement? I think it'll happen. You think so? Guys, we're missing the biggest thing. What's the biggest thing? The biggest thing is, are we in this room chained to a wall and look, are we staring oh, out? Is the, everything that exists in here, is this just shadows? And how do we, how do we prove that it's not? That's the biggest thing. And I know it seems easy, right? You can, you can knock on the table. Hey, that's easy. I can throw something and one of you will probably catch it. Well, Hopefully. I you're a good catch. I can tell you're a really good catch. Um, I mean, how do we prove that, right? So then we have a lot of people thinking about this problem uh, that have been thinking about this problem. I don't know if any of you saw Elon Musk, uh, is the little video where he's being interviewed and a person posed the question, how do we know we are existing in base reality right now and not in a simulation? And he went uh, a, a roundabout way of answering it, talking about how much time he spends in, uh, what, hot tubs? He, apparently Elon Musk spends a lot of time in hot tubs. But anyway, he said, uh, he said we have a one in one billion chance of existing currently in base reality. And that sounds a little crazy. Um, you got to take it with a little grain of salt. But it, what he was speaking to was about Moore's Law and the advancements that we've made in technology. What, 40 years ago we had Pong now? What are we? Uh, I'm trying to think of the most advanced game. What's the most advanced game right now? <laughs> yes, because you know. I know you uh, know. The new Metal Gear Solid. New Metal Gear Solid is crazy. Huge world. You can do so many different things, and the way the way the, the NPCs interact, it, it's incredible. Matt, I have a question. A point of order. Yes. So where was Elon Musk when this interview took place? More directly, was he in a hot tub? He was not in a hot tub, so he was allowed to talk about it. He, he said that he's not allowed to talk about this in hot tubs. It's really weird. You should watch it. But anyway, that's one guy, just one of the most you know uh, wealthy human beings on the planet, discussing this, which is pretty cool to know that he's at least thinking about it because it's kind of important. So let me just get this So he's positing that there is a chance that we, right now, what we are experiencing is in fact part of some greater simulation that we are unaware of? No, he is saying there is a tiny chance that we are not in a simulation. So he's saying it's overwhelmingly <laughs> likely. And we're finding, we're finding uh, more of the old tropes or more of the old ideas that came in sci out about uh, science fiction have become science fact. And to paraphrase almost to everyone on the internet, what a time to be alive. This is the part of the show, usually, where we do uh, listener mail or shout-out corner, but our show is listener-driven because, not to give us through a hard time, all of our best ideas come from people who listen. So we wanted to talk with you guys about it and hear, like, what you think is going to happen with them? If you have any questions, do you think we're in base reality? Is Elon Musk on the money, or is he just gone too far into the hot tub game? Well, is this just not something you even want to think about? Because I usually don't want to think about, you know, <laughs> uh, reality shattering concepts. I thought you were going to say <laughs> Elon Musk in a hot tub. Well, you know, well that's not too bad. No, no. All right, well, this should be open. Uh, okay, so do you, do you have any questions for us? Yes, sir, you're in the front. Um, I'm just curious. I know they're doing a Resident Evil uh, VR game, but it's like horror games to me just sound like how do you get somebody to even, like, be able to really experience it? Because, like, 
What if they have a heart attack? That's just terrifying. It's dangerous, right? Oh, yeah. Like I was saying, all those videos where you, you you know you put a VR headset on your granny and walk her through you know a Resident <laughs> Evil level, and you know, so she's about to you know totally seize up right there. I mean, yeah, I know it's intense, but you have to kind of go into it with open eyes, and you probably shouldn't play tricks on your, your dear old granny. Well, yeah, yeah. Every, from, a, from a medical perspective or from a legal perspective, the way that the liability for that will be handled is going to be the same as liability for games that might cause seizures in people with epilepsy. Yeah, any any game system you buy has a crazy amount of disclaimers uh, within the paperwork when you pick it up. You probably never look at it. I certainly didn't. But yeah, it's in, there's stuff in there about when not to operate this machine. No, there's plenty of games that have a big disclaimer right at the front that says this game has flashes in it that could cause seizures in certain people. Well, so. what about PTSD dealing with a virtual reality experience that's just too intense for you, you know? Or maybe triggers something else, previous PTSD or something like that. I mean, there's, there's some real stuff we're going to have to deal with and make some decisions about. Yeah. I don't want to get too political, but I feel like hopefully we won't uh, make a bunch of laws about it. We'll just uh, work on it, you know, kind as of an industry, case. but we'll see. Yeah, a similar thing happened with uh, Mirror's Edge, uh, which was a uh, first-person, free-running parkour game. Uh, beautiful game, but it was hacking that sense we talked about before, proprioception. And so people were becoming violently ill because their stomach was saying, no, we are 20 feet away from where we're supposed to be, and it's the wrong direction. Uh, and so I know that um, that was not a life-threatening thing, so the case is a little bit different. But personally, I cannot, like, I can't, re I can barely handle the, um, the boss level music in Zelda, so I don't know how I would. I don't know how I would. I'm like not emotionally prepared for it every time that happens. Well, some people in general just don't have the constitution for putting on that headset. I mean, they're even like 360 degree videos, so you can, you can get like a Google Cardboard or whatever and put it on, and it just throws people's equilibrium off. Some people, yeah, and some people love it, and they totally get immersed in it. It's great. But I have this wild idea that far enough down the line. What if we ended up in a world where there was a divide between people that just chose to live their entire life hooked up to VR, they got fed their nutrients through, like, you know, IV tubes, and they just never left their apartment. And they, they just, just want to live they in just want to live. Well, it doesn't have to be It could be, like, in, like, a, you know, like an open world kind of thing, like a second life or something like that, you know, where you have a VR version of this world that you created for yourself, all your friends are there, sort of like heaven or something, you know, there's this Philip K. Dick novel called Ubik, where the idea is that in order, um, you preempt yourself before you die, you decide, okay, I want to live forever in this virtual reality world. So they put you in a box, they cryogenically freeze you and keep your brain alive, and you choose the conditions of your world, and then you basically live in that world forever. Obviously, that's not a thing, but I can see it being not too much of a jump to be in a place where there's a divide between people who want to live in the real world all the time, and then a whole contingent of people that just want to be able to stay home, work in virtual reality, live in virtual reality, have all of their interactions and their relationships in virtual reality. I just I just want to know what that really was. fast. I, I want to I want to get your question, but really fast. I just think it's really funny. Uh, we kind of do that already. And all the work that we have ever done, except for this, this is the first time we've ever talked to other human beings uh, in a room like this. Uh, everything we've done is in a virtual world on the internet. 
Yeah. Like, our show exists in a virtual world already. We have t-shirts. Those are real. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag-A-Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I guess, I guess what I'm talking about is sort of an escalation of that. Yeah. But it to me seems like a natural escalation, yeah. given you know how exponentially this technology is improving. You know what's that going to look like? Sorry, sorry. Question. Well, you guys kind of mentioned about how people can make choices in film, but you know it kind of it makes film almost video games. It's right now, but. And that defeats the whole purpose of a filmmaker trying to tell a story. Yeah. And then also just the 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 tech, you know, the limitations on. Okay, well, how the actors, you know, mm-hmm. how are they going to adjust to whatever you decide to do? I mean, it just it seems 
like I said, it dilutes the you know, yeah. filmmaking genre because it's you know one person or multiple persons. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps it makes a new genre because yeah. if we look back on um, if we look back on the role of so much hardware, what we see is an increasing agglomeration of things into a single device or a single concept. You know, it's it's not really a secret that one of the main reasons a laptop and a television or a computer and a television were separate for as long as they are is because there was a profit motive behind it. You know, why, why sell somebody one thing when you can sell them three? And now that phones have become ubiquitous sort of um, catch-all devices, right, depending on the phone, uh, what we're going to see is the same sort of thing happening with the genre of entertainment that they have. I personally hope that this does not mean there's an end to what I would consider actual film. Because this choose-your-own-adventure thing, as amazing as it would be, there is, a, there is a certain catharsis that occurs, right? When we are part of a story as uh, we're along with an omniscient narrator, right? We bond with a protagonist. So we uh, hate an antagonist, right? Uh, and I don't think that'll go away. It almost has the illusion of making it more personal, where it's like, this is my experience with this film. This is These are the decisions I would make. I am, you know, guiding the... Uh, the destinies of these characters myself, but in a way it makes it more impersonal because everything becomes about the individual. There's no shared experience anymore, right. you know, and so it's, to me, like, this this future of everything existing in this way or being, you know, focused in that way is, is very impersonal and kind of a little soulless. You know, it, uh, one weird example of this would be um, when Mr., if you're Mr. Torrance in an interactive version of The Shining, Right, horror movies are one of those things where people watch it and they say, "No, don't go in there. We have all these we have all these stereotypes about uh, various people and their their role in a horror horror film, their archetype." Right, but anybody in their right mind playing the role of Torrance and being able to make a decision and really thinking that they're in a haunted, perfidious uh, living mansion would obviously not go into a room where a de decomposing lady gets out of a tub and strangles you. That's just not a good life goal. And so I, 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 that's why I don't think uh, this would all go away. And I, I agree with you, Noel. I think that, I think that people would ultimately feel, um, it feels a little bit empty. You know, if you play a video game for a long time, for instance, and you've beaten everything on it, you've got the highest score, you've gone through all the cheats or whatever, and you're walking around in this sandbox of a world, saying, I, I have infinite power, and I'm infinitely bored. That's what would happen. Well, yeah, that's that's what you have. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know, like, no one was talking about people having to choose between reality and perfect reality. Like, you necessarily have to choose. Dolphins sleep with half of their brain, and then other half sleep. Oh, yeah. Ooh. So a layer. Yeah. I'm not necessarily saying you would have to choose. I just think there would be people that would choose, like, to exist in that world alone. Yeah, that's not good, right? Right? You mean we'll we'll hang out. But the, the thing is, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about virtual economies in in like Second Life or some other virtual world like that, and how much money there is to be made inside those things. And there would be jobs. There will literally literally be. Hundreds, if not thousands, of jobs doing that. And there are now. 
Well, yeah. yeah, and we're gonna lose all the manufacturing jobs, all the all the manual work jobs here in base reality. Well, they may be automated. <laughs> well, they'll be automated. So what I'm saying is, it won't be a human doing any of that. So we're gonna have to go deeper down into the levels. Oh my gosh! So that we can have jobs. <laughs> oh boy, I'm scared. It's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. Uh, all right. Does anybody have no? Yes, you sir. Uh, how do you think TVs and like monitors will exist with virtual reality? Do you think virtual reality will just like make them obsolete, or do you think they'll exist alongside each other? Can I do this quickly? Okay. All right. Sorry, I'm really excited about this. All right. So one of the biggest impediments to uh, humanity interacting. Like, if you look at the definition of a cyborg, then the average person with a cell phone functions essentially as a cyborg, right? One of the things that is currently a barrier to that sort of seamless unity, whether you want it or not, and I know that's a different episode, is, uh, is that we are still bound by our inability to internalize, right? The, the, some of the most common top-of-the-line computers still need these to work. Right, and we still have to have something in front of our eyes. So as development continues on things like contacts that are essentially functioning screens, we're getting the screen closer. And for most of the evolution of monitors now, we've been trying to build, we being humanity, not Nolan, Matt, and... Speak to yourself. Okay. okay, well, everybody but Matt. And um, the, uh, the, what we've found is that as we like, we made humongous screens that are really big. IMAX, right? IMAX is large enough that if you're sitting in a theater and then you get that awesome shot where they go over the cliff, part of your body for a lot of people jumps with it. Well, there's no end to your field of vision. I mean, rather, right. rather, it like encompasses your entire field. Of vision. Right. So and you can see that with like curved screens and everything. So one one step would be that the screen essentially gets closer; it becomes a contact. The next step which is tremendously controversial, would be that the visual input is somehow put, like wetware, directly into the parts of our brain that decode signals from our optic nerves. The, re the, the scary thing about that is the idea of, um, what, what would you do if somebody said, we'll give you this enhanced supervision, and we'll give it to you free. You just have to agree to watch some ads. Yeah, ads every five to twenty minutes. It just depends on uh, the schedule and what's on. Right. No fast forwarding either. You are gonna sit through this information uh, about Tide. But it's a privilege to have the technology, and it's free. So you know, sure, right. I'll watch it. Yeah. So that's that's what that's what we think is gonna happen. Um, and then voice commands can eventually go to sub vocalizations, to muscle movements that are silent. So you'll just, you'll, we'll see, we'll go away from a restaurant thing where you see the pictures of everyone on their phone, where you see pic pictures of people just at the same table, sort of staring up and to the left, and going like... Uh, stop. <laughs> yeah, but you won't see them, man. You'll be doing the same thing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> You're right. Okay, I'm okay. All right. Um, so that's, that's what I think. And then after the sub-localization, of course, then it would just be information directly from... The consciousness. We there's amazing research right now, wherein uh, teams of scientists have been able to take uh, take cognitive input from someone and construct from that that input a thought and figure out what they're thinking. Now this is not this is not amazing stuff. They're not like is that the first line of T. S. Eliot's The Hollow Men? They're not at that level yet. They're like oh you like this or you don't like this. 
But it's ongoing. Anybody help yeah, me? Yeah, Yes, sir. Okay. Have, have you seen this? I, I swear I saw this in the last year, but there was a, and it was a real life event, but it was a like a live version of Back to the Future where you were basically standing on the square and you would see Doc Brown and them leave in the DeLorean. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking about like if you could do that in a virtual reality thing, you could like stand in different places on the street mm-hmm. and like you could go see what else was going on in the town. Can you imagine all the remakes that would happen if you could virtual world like a classic film like that? Oh yeah. Okay. That sounds almost like an augmented reality thing too, where yeah. you can you combine your surroundings with something that's projected on top of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't. I'm not aware. And of that. I think they're the reason. I think they were doing like a Star Wars, and you would be like. You know, standing in different places mm-hmm. and locations, and they would act it out. It's kind of like a play, but you're going to be walking around a set yeah, uh, and see all the different locations. And uh, there's there's a lot of amazing stuff happening with camera work at this point that allows for that kind of 360 inclusive vision. Uh, we're probably going to see more and more of that as well. Uh, as far as how far it will go, I don't know because the the film industry is very risk averse, so that's why there's a sequel for everything before there's a original film. There's even a camera that just came out. I wish I could remember the name, but it's not exactly a 360 degree camera. It's a camera that the way it captures photons, it can capture them from behind. So it actually it does capture 360 degrees, but not in a traditional VR kind of way. It would just allow you to like separate the foreground from the background. So it captures the subject and the background and what the subject is blocking. And so then, in post, you can move. And it, it captures the light in a way that you can manipulate the, the exposure and the focus after you've already captured the image. So, I mean, that to me is just mind-boggling and enters into all of this, you know, future technology. It also, yeah, it also means that it's going to be uh, almost impossible to separate a real photograph from a Photoshop one. And you won't need a green screen anymore, so that's cool. Politics are going to be really fun in the next few decades. <laughs> uh, so, any other questions? Did you have one? Yeah. Uh, when is each of y'all's favorite piece of speculative fiction that kind of speaks to these issues surrounding uh, VR that we're going to be dealing with in the, the next couple decades? Not the Matrix. Black Mirror. Black Mirror, 100%. And I would say Black Mirror, whatever other episode that he's not talking about, but there's other, uh, there's other yeah. ones. I was going to say The Filth. Um, mm-hmm. Grant Morrison, There's some. he's a comic book writer, and there's some thoughts in there about virtual worlds and basically junkies that are addicted to VR uh, who won't leave their their nest. Do you remember Strange Taste? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That was pretty prescient, you know? Like, it, it hasn't really occurred to me until now, but that was all about, like, playback, like, you know, putting yourself into a recorded moment, a recorded memory, but it basically is, you know, virtual reality, but, like, with a heavy kind of emotional bent yeah. to it where you're reliving a moment that you are experienced again, or it could be something that's, that you bought that someone else captured and you're putting yourself in. But, like, with the whole Black Mirror thing, there's the... Um, this isn't exactly virtual reality, but there's the entire history of you where we're talking about these implants and the idea that everything that we see is being recorded at all times and then can be played back for various reasons. For well, it goes on. Yeah, yeah, for like uh, going through the uh, security line at the airport. Instead of having to, you know, go through all these ridiculous processes and lines, etc., they just play back your last 48 hours and see that, no, in fact, you did not pack, you know, explosive devices and you can go on through. But things like that and technologies like this, there's always these emotional aspects that we don't think about. Like, what does that mean to a relationship? What does that mean, you know, 
Like yeah. if, you, uh, if you have a fight with your spouse, for example, they can just say, oh, no, you totally said this thing. Here, I'll show you. Yeah, I don't know. Um, to answer your question uh, directly, William Shatner's tech universe, I'm kidding. Uh, for, uh, I'm so glad that not many people are familiar with that. Uh, I, I, I have a tough time picking a favorite. Um, but I would say I love the Twilight Zone. I'm, I'm recently biased because I finished Ready Player One, which was great. Uh, is, and I would, I would recommend it. Um, but I'm going to have to cogitate on that for a moment because picking favorites is tough. What's your, wait, what's your favorite one? Oh, yeah, good question. Um, probably Yodoru by William Gibson, mm, which yeah. we ended up with Hatsune Miku, so he was, like, right on the money with that. Yeah, that's true. William Gibson is, I want to see what he's writing right now <laughs> and save it for 50 years. We have time for one more question. Miss Dillon, it goes to you. Mine really is just ripping off of what you were saying yeah. about, um, say, a scenario of being in the airport and being able to access what you've seen, that opens up in another scary possibility of people being able to hack that and change mm-hmm. then your memories and being able to set you up for, say, murders and stuff like that. Wow. That just, That's a really good point. It's dark. <laughs> memory as it exists now is... <laughs> memory as it exists now is far less stable or sacrosanct as people would have us believe. Because every time we remember something, remembering the last time we remembered copy of a copy of we're playing copy. telephone with ourselves so with I'll hang up my invisible telephones with, so with um, with that in mind I would say that yeah the security concerns are terrifying and because these this is now direct access to you not to pieces of you, but to the thing we consider ourselves. Well, we're already playing whack-a-mole, too, as, as the world we live in now, where anything we create, then there's someone going to try to distort that and constantly trying to be ahead of those people. So that brings in all kinds of crazy possibilities with, as technology advances. Yes, along with, uh, of course, a backlash, a move toward primitivism, right? Uh, we'll have a new rise of... Amish. Yeah, neo-Luddites, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, that enters into my whole idea about having the you know group of people that are just on VR. There could be a backlash against that. You could have people that just... They want to like it the way it used to be, where we do a little VR here and there, we play some games. But then there could be a whole group of people that come up in opposition to that and just completely eschew any kind of new technology. Like, you know, we always see that kind of backlash when there's any, you know, wholesale migration towards an extreme kind of technology. Are you saying that people overreact sometimes? It's possible. No. It's possible. No. What? Okay. No. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, uh, we're going to end today. We want to thank you guys so much for coming out to our very first live podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And here we are, back in, I guess, what passes for the present for us. 2016. Yes, the day that uh, the United Kingdom decided to leave the European Union. Yeesh. That is a a kerfuffle right there. A hullabaloo. Uh, Also, I I feel kind of weird about saying this, but uh, we didn't... Put that applause in and post. No, that was real. No, it was cool. That's you know, and we were honestly a little bit nervous about doing this. It being our first live show, you know, we didn't have the safety net of these padded walls of this studio yeah. space that we usually podcast from. But I, I'm gonna have to say, fellas, I, I thought you you two in particular did a great job. I I, I think I held my own, but you I, know. I think I think you two did a great job. I am still not sure if the folks at the live show were clapping because it was over. 
You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Ben. They, now, they one were thing clapping I, <laughs> for each other for making it through. Yeah, that was probably it. But uh, one thing we wanted to mention, we did not talk about this, that we were going to do this show. We didn't promote it. We mm-hmm. wanted our first foray into the live world of podcasting to be, you know, not not be heralded with anything. We just wanted to see what it was like. A proof of concept. Mm-hmm. A secret show. It was sort of a secret show. But I don't know about you guys, but I personally enjoy that a lot, and I have a feeling that there will be more of these in our future. That being said, next time I'm going to take it upon myself to bring some of my snazzy recording gear and uh, and get a really high-quality recording that we can can present to you guys next time. And I will take it upon myself not to surprise pressure you guys into beatboxing with me before a show actually begins, <laughs> which I don't think made it to air in this recording. I took and, it out of the video. Yeah, oh, by the way, better. if uh, if you're listening to this and you're interested in what we looked like while we were uh, up there talking, oh, you man. can watch our video on, on YouTube this week. We put it out so you can see that. There's a one part where, Ben, you're making hand gestures and you talk about how you can't see the hand gestures. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, guess what? You can see them. Yes, and we want to give a huge thank you to the good folks at Terminus for having us over, and we may be making an appearance there this time next year. It sounds like we might have gotten a second date. Uh, we'd also like to thank you for checking it out, and thanks to all the listeners who came by, and new and mm-hmm. uh, new and veteran listeners who tuned into the show. In the meantime, if this exploration of virtual reality has piqued your interest or you have any feedback, comments, hot tips, strange haikus or cryptic limericks you can feel free to send them to us directly we are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. 
your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.